Our first reading today is um, the second psalm, and that is on page 463 of the Old Testament version of your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Listen now for the word of God for you and for me. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Amen. Our New Testament reading, which is also where our text will be focused today, comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Here again the word of the Lord for you and for me. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God Almighty, creator of heavens and earth, come to you this morning thanking you for the fellowship of this great congregation. Thanking you for the love and the support and the kindness and generosity and charity that is always abundant in this place. Now, O oh God, as I stand before you to give the message as it was given to me, O oh God, ask that you bless me and those that are hearers of this word, that we may also be doers. In these things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. On last week, I was catching up with a colleague. Our conversation was about a myriad of things, but at some point, we shared stories about the home buying process. They mentioned that one of the tactics they used, and one that has been recommended to me as well over the years, 
was to write a love letter to the sellers of the home. For those of us who have been either the buyer or seller of real estate, you might understand the complexities and nuances that a well-written love letter could potentially resolve. The conversation made me wonder, when was the last time had I written or received a letter? More specifically, written or received a love letter. A lot of us participated just last week in Valentine's Day, and so this concept of a love letter might be fresh on our minds and our hearts. Maybe you gave or received a love letter in the form of a greeting card. For the generation of my children to write a love letter on a piece of paper and then to fold it and to place a stamp onto an envelope and finally mail it off through the U.S. Postal Service is probably an unknown concept. But perhaps they too are familiar with the idea of writing a love letter, utilizing their preferred social media platform, email, or text messaging. For whatever method we choose, I believe it's fair to say that the anticipation of writing a love letter or receiving one is alone enough to excite us. Then it seems for every word read, magnetizes our hearts to the pages, every expression of gratitude and affection permeating our spirit and affirming our human need to be loved. Like the makings of any good letter, there is typically a greeting or salutation that prefaces the body. The epistle or letter before us is written in the name of the Apostle Peter. Its salutation reads, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a beautiful and eloquent way to begin a letter and capture the audience at the time. But even more captivating as we step into the reality that the letter leaps from the pages and speaks to us as well. On this Transfiguration Sunday, we are tasked with diving into and reflecting on the canonical writer's recollection of divine and loving moment. A moment that if I had to write a letter and begin it as with tradition, with a salutation, I would begin my greeting saying, dearly beloved. But before I could scribe any further, I would have to unpack the weight of transfiguration a word that if used outside of this context, I would not understand. So what does the word transfiguration mean? The word transfiguration means a change of form or appearance. Matthew 17, 2 describes it by stating, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. 40 days before the Passion, Jesus took Peter, John, and James upon a mountain to reveal this divine nature. At the time of the transfiguration, Jesus' earthly ministry was ending. He had acknowledged that he was the Messiah and predicted his death and resurrection. Now he was to reveal to a select few his divine glory. Is this part of the love story or love letter 
that pushes us out of the shallow wading pools into the deep waters of knowing the one who claims to be God, clothed in flesh, is indeed the Almighty. It is like finding out not only who your secret admirer is, but that person is the one you had hoped for all along. While the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, provide parallel accounts on the transfiguration and the presence of prophets Moses and Elijah in the clouds, our text today is a letter whose purpose is to remind us of the witness of the transfiguration as much as the transfiguration itself. The writer emphasized the authority of eyewitness to the events in Jesus's life as reinforcing the God-inspired authority of scripture. The apostolic witness, the testimony of holy scriptures, and the Holy Spirit's confirmation in the heart and life are the basis for our Christian faith. These witnesses give powerful testimony to the veracity of God's witness to humanity. Verse 16 testifies that the accounts of Jesus's life are based on eyewitness testimonies. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The testimony is that we, meaning the apostles, did not cunningly devise and present a myth. They didn't manufacture a story to express their own desire without it being true to reality. The Greek and Roman world abounded in stories about the gods. They were mere human speculations that tried to explain the world and its origins. No matter how interesting these myths might be, the Christian was not to be occupied with them. The apostles, instead of fabricating fables, made known the true historical reality of Jesus. Their doctrine held forth Christ coming in flesh to redeem humanity from sin as a most certain and serious purpose under heaven. This Jesus is the only one who can save humanity from the eternal consequences of our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. But what guarantee do we have that this is right and that it is all true? We have all believed and accepted it and have suffered for that belief, but how do we know it is true? The two solid foundations of certainty on which we can be confident and assured are giving, given as the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and the inspired witness of God's word. I imagine, in fact, that many of us can look back over our own lives and recognize the ways in which we have been eyewitnesses to God's glory his amazing and saving grace. The writer of this text declares, they saw with their physical eyes Christ's glory in human flesh. They saw him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, raise the dead, command the elements, calm the sea, and steal the wind. Jesus displayed his majesty as Lord over creation, disease, pestilence, and demons. They witnessed the working of these miracles. They saw him nailed to a cross, die, be buried in a tomb, rise again, speak to them for 40 more days, and then ascend to heaven, promising to return. Out of all of these glorious events, the writer chooses the transfiguration where Jesus openly displayed his glory as a certain proof of his eternal majesty. The transfiguration had special significance for Jesus Christ, who was headed toward Calvary. 
It was the father's way of preparing and strengthening his son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Listen to the father's voice booming out of heaven as he speaks to his dearly beloved son in verse 18. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard his utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. The apostles not only saw Christ's glory, but they heard the Father's voice. Witnesses are people who tell accurately what they have seen and heard. And Peter was a faithful witness. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes, he is. How do we know? The Father said so. The statement, we were with him, is emphatic. It was an event that was burned into their memories. They were on a sacred or holy mountain. It was sacred because God's presence was there. The revelation of God's glory made the mountain holy for the apostles who witnessed the event. As human witnesses, the apostles were permitted to see a glimpse of heaven where Jesus rules with power, honor, glory, and in which he is the son of God who receives his father's love and approval. What a magnificent love letter for the church. Perhaps as sure as you are about the words you've written in love to those you care, scripture is God's revelation to humanity. For Peter, the written word of God is indisputably trustworthy. It is a sure word, a shining word, and a spirit-given word. Verse 19 testifies to the certainty and vital claim of God's prophetic word. We have the prophetic word more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. How powerfully convincing is the statement, we have a more sure prophetic word. In the preceding section, Peter focused on hearing the word spoken by God, the Father, directly from heaven. Here, he concentrates on the written word or scripture. The prophetic word not only means the foretelling word, but the forthtelling word. The written word of God is declared more reliable than God's thundering word out of heaven. It's a word you can go back to time and time again. No, it is not more God's word, but it is a more certain, less apt to misinterpretation because it can be read, reread, and studied in its context by all. And since the written word is a more sure word to us than a word verbally spoken by God out of heaven to us, we would do well to pay attention to it. In the Transfiguration, we celebrate then and now the confidence that the authority of God's word and our hope for the future rests finally, not in inter any intermediary authority, but in the promise of Jesus's abiding presence with his faithful followers. Experience has taught us to be appropriately on guard, to expect that there will always be problems of understanding which some may twist or pervert to their own ends. There will be disagreements about interpretation as there apparently are in the community to which this letter is addressed. That course of appeal lies ultimately for them and for us in the presence, testimony, and power of the Spirit. 
John 14 through 16 talks about a people who heard the promise of the Spirit as a confirmation of the abiding presence of the resurrected Jesus. So here, this community is reminded that the power for hope and confidence in a living witness resides in recognizing that interpretation is not just a matter of individual whim or competency. We are invited to trust, and indeed, that is the promise that the power and the authority ultimately rest in God. The Spirit continues to move among us. In the Spirit's presence, the glorified Jesus on the mountain is made present among us. The gift of prophecy for faithful interpreting of the scriptures is continually given, and the appeal of faithful witness is granted a hearing within faithful Christian communities who bear fruit in hopeful endurance and godly affection and love. Friends, as we bask in the glow of the bright and shining star, I am moved to also prophetically recognize that behind every great love story is also the grief we bear. Such is true even as we move through the coming days of Lent, looking ahead to the great resurrection morn. And while many have attributed the saying, grief is a price we pay for love, to the late Queen Elizabeth, it was actually British psychiatrist Dr. Colin Murray Parks who said, the pain of grief is just as much part of life as the joy of love. It is perhaps the price we pay for love, the cost of commitment. To ignore this fact or to pretend that it is not so is to put on emotional blockers, which leave us unprepared for the losses that will inevitably incur in our own lives and unprepared to help others cope with losses in theirs. I'll leave you friends with this. The first scripture I ever recited and perhaps the most fitting of endings to the greatest love letter of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen.